1: Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. Here we cover a variety of topics that are going to help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Guys, it is officially, I can say it now, it is officially deer season. Our season came in here in Georgia on Saturday. Now, I have not gotten into the woods yet. But I can tell you I'm getting pretty fired up. I have been shooting my bow a ton. I have been uh, man I'm actually sitting here looking at several bins of hunting gear that I've broken out that may not have seen the light of day since last uh, since last hunting season. so I'm kind of going through everything. I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep it super minimal at the beginning of this hunting season. you know I'll be honest with you, I didn't have the chance to do a ton of postseason scouting last year. Uh, or, or really any at all, especially on the new lease that I picked up uh, right before turkey season. So I didn't do a lot of scouting. Uh, I haven't done a lot of summer scouting, absolutely, just because uh, busyness and, um, you know, not really wanting to be out there with the snakes and ticks and, and all of that, man. summers for me are much more for uh, family time, getting stuff done around the house, taking my family on trips, doing fun stuff. Uh, so that when fall rolls around or when spring rolls around, I can do the things that I want to do. We can hunt, uh, without having to worry about, you know, honey around the house or, Hey, have I spent enough time with the kids? Like I can be really confident by the time hunting season gets here. Yes. I have done what I need to do around the house. I have spent the time with the kids. I've, I've spent the time with my wife and, uh, tried to do as much as I can to make them feel loved and appreciated so that when dad is gone. Uh, during the fall it's uh, a little bit easier to to stomach to handle because what we do is a very very selfish thing uh, to leave for hours or days on end uh, to chase these critters around but anyway it is hunting season I have not been out yet I am going out uh, what's today it is Wednesday September 13th I will be in the woods tomorrow morning now I've got a spot that I've picked out that I'm really excited to go look at. I found back in Turkey season, like a dozen or so persimmon trees, all in this one sort of circle. Now about this lease, it is almost entirely pine trees. I pulled up my onyx and I turned on their deciduous tree layer, which makes it really, really easy to to figure out exactly where you know, some other kinds of trees are, especially if you're in a pine dominated area like I am. When this place was clear cut not too terribly long ago and pines planted, you know, 15 years ago or so, they took everything off of this place. So there are some spots that I found on Onyx where, you know, there's a couple of clusters or maybe some individual oak trees or, or, you know, deciduous trees of some kind that were not holding foliage during the winter. So what I have done is gone in and marked every single one of those spots. This place where the persimmons are that I found back in turkey season uh, is not far from a one of very few transitions that is visible from a map uh, here on this lease. And that transition is entirely oak trees. It is, it is like a, a straight line in the woods. There's no creek there, there's, there's no other reason for this line to be there other than they just decided that was the line that they were not going to cut when they sort of cut everything else out. So this persimmon patch, I guess you could call it, is kind of up on a hill. This, uh, the terrain right there creates a little bit of a saddle just down the hill from the persimmons. Then there's this line of oak trees. Then there's a big ridge up to the, I guess it would be the south of of all these oak trees. So I'm going to get in there tomorrow morning. I've not been in there with a tree stand on my back. I've not been in there to actually scout for deer. I've been in there turkey hunting. So I'm going to get in there tomorrow morning, probably go in, right at gray light, climb a tree, and just see what I see. There's a food plot not too far from there. There are persimmons. Uh, I know the trees were holding. I don't know if they're falling yet, but I bet you if they're falling, they're going to be drawing some deer. And then I've got oak trees down in that little bottom. And to top it all off, there's the saddle right there where I'm going to be, you know, catching hopefully just some funneled natural deer movement. And then you've got the ridge. It's a north-facing ridge. And so I'm hoping, you know, this time of year the deer are likely bedded on that north-facing ridge trying to get out of the sun, trying to catch some of that wind. The wind should be out of the north tomorrow. So I'm going to be threading the needle a little bit when it comes to potentially getting winded, you know, between the, the wind coming out of the north and then the Uh, thermals pulling back up that hill so it could get a little sketchy I could blow some stuff out but I've never been in there so I just need to take the risk I need to get in there do kind of an observation set in the timber and see what I can see see how the deer are using this area and I have really high hopes I, I, I feel pretty confident in this in this spot that it's it's at least a good spot to start I'm gonna have a couple of cameras in the bag with me though uh, a couple of reveal cell cams uh, I'm gonna be using the Lodi pack tomorrow kind of keep things pretty minimal smaller pack made by Huntworth uh, fits a couple of cameras in there real nice fits my water bladder in there real nice my sticks and my uh, saddle platform go on the outside of fit really really well on there and I'm just gonna take it easy man it's gonna be a simple hunt I'm getting back to the basics and really, really looking forward to that. Hopefully, do some more scouting on the way out as well. But I can't wait to get into the timber. I hope you are in the timber already, or are like me, chomping at the bit to get out there as soon as you possibly can. If you've got an October one opener, or uh, you know, maybe a later September opener, I'm sorry. It's just it's it's just the way that it is. This is this is going to be the earliest that I have ever gotten to hunt. I've never gotten to hunt early September. Uh, quite like this or even mid September um quite this early with Wisconsin typically opening up you know the third weekend or so of of September so anyway all that to say I'm fired up it's deer season you should be getting out in the woods or doing something to help you next time you are out in the woods but we've got a good episode for you today I was able to catch up with Nate Sellers you might know him as Average Jack Archery from YouTube um I had him on a couple of years ago when we talked about selecting the right bow for you and selecting the right bow accessories. We actually did two separate episodes, both of them very, very good. If you're looking at, you know, maybe, maybe making some changes to your archery gear or maybe buying a new bow or maybe getting some new arrows, those are really, really good episodes that you should go give a listen to because Nate is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He's budget-minded, and so, like, He's not going to put you in a $1,500 bow if that's not what you have the budget for and not what you're looking for. And so he, uh, in those two episodes, he really helped us out as far as you know, getting us in high-quality equipment that's going to serve us well at a price that almost anyone can afford or at least save up for. In this episode, though, he breaks the news. He now works for Huntworth, which, as you know, is uh, one of the sponsors of this show, And his job at Huntworth is to wrangle folks like me that are content producers who are sponsored by Huntworth. So I get to work with him in this whole new way, which is incredible. So in this episode, we talk a good bit about Huntworth and everything that they've got coming out. They've got a whole slew of new products. They've got updates to their website that make it easier than ever to find the gear that you need. And man, do not sleep on Huntworth. Like If you're a guy thinking that you've got to go out and spend a ton of money to get high quality camo you got to give Huntworth a look. They're making really, really good gear. And actually, the first time I ever heard of Huntworth was when I saw Nate doing an Average Jack Archery video highlighting some Huntworth gear. And you'll hear us talk about it in this episode. He had the same reaction that I did when I pulled my first bit of Huntworth gear out of the box thinking, man, this is high-quality stuff. Like, this is really good quality. They are making absolutely premium camo. That is, I don't know a third the cost of of what you could spend with some other brands half the cost of what you could spend on some other brands maybe even less anyway if you haven't already go check out huntworthgear.com to see their full lineup of products go find Nate on YouTube Average Jack Archery if you're in Pennsylvania look up his uh, look up his new bow shop that he they've been open for about a year now I think it was uh, Average Jack Archery and as this episode goes on if you think of any follow up questions that you might have for Nate Uh, One, feel free to reach out to him if you want to, but also send those to me because I'm going to have Nate on again soon. So if you're wondering about Huntworth camo, if you're wondering about archery, if you're wondering about tuning your bow, if you're wondering about archery gear, whatever it is, shoot those questions to me. I'll get Nate back on. We'll talk about those things. But for right now, let's have a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll jump right into the show. Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam 6.0 point of view camera. Featuring a built-in one-inch LCD touchscreen, one-touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Tacticam 6.0 is sure to simplify the self-filming process for you and make sure you have high-quality footage to share with family and friends. The 6.0 features up to 8x zoom, new image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal-clear 4K, 60 frame per second footage. Now through September 21st, you can get a 6.0 camera, a stabilizer mount, a clamp mount, and a bottle of ScrapeFix for just $355.99. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. If you want to create more memories and fill your freezer while you're doing it, the Onyx Hunt app is a must-have tool in your arsenal. With major new aerial imagery updates with historic look-back, high-frequency imagery, and even the ability to order your own custom imagery, the Onyx Hunt app has solidified itself as the leader among mapping systems. Now, this is all on top of the public and private land ownership info, the ability to use this app with no service, and the unmatched reliability that you have come to expect out of the Onyx Hunt app. You can try the Onyx Hunt app for free for seven days. Just go find them on the app store of your choice, or you can go to onxmaps.com to learn more. The archery opener is right around the corner, and you can hunt in comfort this season with camo from Huntworth. They make high-quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham Lightweight Pants, which are rugged and durable, but also lightweight and breathable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts, and the Gadsden Quarter Zip Hoodie, which is made to be breathable and moisture wicking. To make building out your kit simpler, the Huntworth website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. To check out their full camo line, head over to huntworthgear.com. Now let's get into this week's show. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the podcast is Mr. Nate Sellers, or some of you might think of him as Mr. Average Jack Archery. Nate, what's going on, man? Not much,
2: man. We're just just living the dream over here in Central
1: Just living the dream, man. Uh, I'm, I'm pumped to have you back on the show. A lot has changed for you since we talked. A lot has changed for me too. I mean, I last time I talked, we were sitting. I was sitting in my living room in Wisconsin. I'm now sitting in my basement podcast studio in Georgia. Uh, so that's a weird thing. But then you've had a whole bunch of weird stuff too, man. So why don't you why don't you give us a little bit of an update?
2: Yeah, so 2023 has been a roller coaster for me. I, for the past 10 years, I've been a middle school English teacher uh, in rural PA left that job uh, to take up a job with Huntworth camo out of Pittsburgh PA uh, so I work as a uh, media and marketing coordinator for them do a lot of different things wear a lot of different hats but my main I'd say the main source is is uh, managing everything from you know our television show you know sponsorship to our podcasters to our uh, our youtubers and everything else in between uh, do a lot of stuff uh, in terms of product testing obviously and you know, I've done that the past couple of years as a freelancer for Huntworth but it's really really cool. be brought on board as a full-time uh, person. I do work remotely. I still live in central PA and I commute down to Pittsburgh a couple times a month, you know, make sure touch base. We're all on the same page with a lot of things. Um, but yeah, so that was a, a huge step from the public sector into the private one. Uh, and uh, also in 2022, which led into 2023, we started an archery shop, uh, Average Egg Archery in Phillipsburg, PA. Uh, so we're a full pro shop and range. We deal with uh, Elite and Matthews and Bear Bows, Ten Point Wicked Ridge Crossbows, uh, all bunch of arrows and broadheads, everything you possibly want. We've got a six lane indoor range, 20 yards. So we've uh, we've come a long way since we started that in July of 2022. Um, it's doing very well. Uh, we're working our tails off nights and weekends (laughs) after the nine to five grind, if you will. Uh, but it's, it's, it's cool. It was, it was something It was a niche that was needed in our area central PA. We had a lot of shops closed, retirements, COVID, you know, numbers not being good, whatever it may be. And so we kind of were able to fill a void, fill a niche that was necessary. And so Huntworth was very gracious to let us continue to do that on the part-time basis that we already had it when I was working with the school district. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been cool. It's been real cool. And I'm hoping that this new gig with Huntworth allows me an extra day or two in the woods than uh, my more rigid schedule of teaching would allow.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, you may you may find yourself able to sneak out one morning. Uh, you know, maybe once or
2: twice, maybe. I'm not going to hold my breath, you know, cause I right. still got young kids, you know, I still got my wife and kids are here obviously. And I still got to take care of them. But, uh, yeah, if I can get a, an extra trip to a neighboring state, you know, Ohio, Indiana, something like that. Uh, not that I have anything wrong with hunting the public lands of PA, but it'd be cool to get out and have that experience and have that be part of my quote unquote work instead of just, you know, having to take off work to go do that.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always like to, to joke a little bit, man, because so many people think, man, if I can just get into the hunting industry, I'm going to hunt so much. Like I could hunt all the time because that's what all those guys do. All they do is hunt all fall. Basically those companies shut down and, you know, everybody just hunts. And it's like, man, as I have, you know, quit working for, uh, you know, my old nine to five jumped into the outdoor industry. It's like, Oh, wait a second. I hunt way less, (laughs) like I do not, yeah, I do not hunt nearly as often. Now, when I do hunt though, it's like I left for two weeks and I've been hunting for two weeks and I had a camera guy with me for two weeks and I, you know, it's like, there's a lot in that, but it's just not the same. It's not, it's not quite as often that I'm like, Hey, I'm just going to this weekend, I'm just going to do it.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's the one question I get about the shop all the time. It's like, Oh, you're a shop owner, right? You must shoot your bow like all the time. No, on the contrary, <laughs> it's the moment you get into a shop is the moment you stop shooting your bow. Uh, right. Today I was shooting out in the backyard after dinner here. Uh, and, you know, I'm just like, I really hope this broadhead flies straight. Cause if it doesn't, I'm probably not going to get to it to like, I don't know, next week, you know, <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> I may or may not get to it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I joke in the shop. If I get a dozen arrows between now here, uh, you know, at the tail end of summer between now and the opening day, archery season PA, which is September 30. If I get a dozen arrows down range, I'll be happy. There you go. So, that, that's all you need is a dozen. You'll
1: be all right. All I need is a dozen, man, that's come right. on. Yeah. We're just average. We're that's just right.
2: average jack people. Just a dozen arrows. It's
1: fine. That's right. So man, I, I want to hear how, how has all of this change like impacted your, your YouTube channel?
2: So from a YouTube perspective, you know, the shop in of itself has given me the opportunity to explore more than what I was able to just explore on my own, right? Um, now, granted, a lot of the stuff that I'm able to get my hands on and and work with is stuff that I'm purchasing for stock for the shop, right? So it's not like it's it's raining down now, right? You know, companies just handing me free stuff left and right. To provide, <laughs> and that, that is not happening. I'm buying that stuff, right? Um, but it's cool that I get to then I get to work on it. I get to see it. And also even more important that I get to kind of keep a constant finger on the pulse of, you know, what the guys in the community are looking at, you know, are they looking to upgrade this year? Are they looking just to put the money and string cables into a five, 10, 15 year old bow? Um, you know, what's the hot broadhead, what's the hot arrow combination. So that's kind of cool to be on that, that, that pulse. Cause before that, you know, I'd have to keep keep up to date with all the YouTube videos, go into archery talk, kind of be electronically on the beat, if you will. But since I have literal live heartbeats coming into my shop, I'm able to actually get, get a kind of a pulse for that. Cause central Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania in general, next to Michigan and Wisconsin, you know, is one of the highest hunter densities in the country, if not the highest. And so when a bow hunter walks into my store, you know, they're, they're usually seasoned veterans or that, you know, this isn't their first rodeo with hunting. And so they've done their research, right? Very rarely are they just walking into my shop and be like, I know nothing. Sell me a bow. Usually they're very seasoned. They've been reading, they've been researching. And so they come with that knowledge that then I get to kind of feed off of and see what are people grabbing? What's the hot bow right now? What's the hot uh, price window? What's the budget, right? That kind of stuff. And so that's really cool. Um, You know, working when I was working part-time for another shop, you know, local to me, I didn't really get that. Cause I was just part-time. I'd be here on a Wednesday afternoon or a Saturday morning or something like that. But now being in full-time, it's different in terms of, you know, now this Huntworth job and how that relates to average Jack Archie, it's still the same. I, at least I think so. You know, I was already, I really believe in what Huntworth has, the kind of camel they have to offer. You know, they're, you know, it's a blue collar rust belt. you know, I, there, there's no better way to put it. The, the owners, Neil and Karen are, uh, have grown up in the textile industry. They've been doing this. Neil's been doing this 40 years. Karen's been, you know, with them now for over 20 when they opened Huntworth in 2001. So they know what they're doing. They know how to, uh, make high quality clothing that appeals to the price points that I and the normal Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh hunter can afford, right? Which resonates across the country. Right with the, with the with the working class man, and so they've done a lot to be very innovative, but still keep it affordable uh, and and high quality. So it's it's really cool to have that piece now be my full time job, but that doesn't really affect what I was already doing with Average Jack Archer from a YouTube perspective. So it's cool. I think everything kind of feeds into each other, and it's kind of a happy melting pot where it's at.
1: Right, right, yeah, man. One of the one of the things that I have loved about Huntworth uh, is that piece of you know, it, it just appeals to your average listener. And, you know, as I first got into the podcasting space and then all of a sudden, you know, I started talking with different companies. It was like, Oh, okay. Like this could be a, uh, this could be a thing. So like partnerships all of a sudden become an option. And, you know, before that you start to think to yourself like, Oh man, that'd be so cool one day if this could be a thing. But then when it does become a thing, you have to take a long hard look in the mirror and say, okay, what am I putting my name on? Like I am, What am I telling this guy with three kids at home? Because I'm just thinking to myself, right? The guy with three kids at home with not a huge income who just did everything he could last year to upgrade his bow finally because his last one was 15 years old. Now he needs some new camo because he's tired of shivering to death in you know, thrift thrift store camo, which is what I was doing. Uh, You know, looking like the, the kid from the Christmas movie with, you know, walking out there like a giant marshmallow just trying to stay warm. What can I tell that guy to go buy? Can I look him in the eyes and say, you know what you should do? You should go spend $4,000 on camo this year. Like, I, I can't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and not only can I not do that, but you don't need to do that. Like, you can, you can have really good clothing uh, with a really good fit that's going to keep you warm and keep you comfortable at a much lower price point. And actually, the first place that I ever saw Huntworth camo was on your YouTube channel. It's been a while. So how Which is cool. How, how yeah, how which long, is Really cool. Yeah. 3 years ago, right? Three, yeah. 3 yeah. So how I was going to ask how long ago did you first get in touch with Huntworth? I think it was 3 years ago.
2: It was in the winter time. Uh, I had I had Huntworth reach out to me. Uh one of their one of the people that work for them in the in the marketing side reached out to me and was like, "Hey, you know, what you what you offer on the YouTube sphere, which is just good old-fashioned, honest to god work, is something that I think we'd be interested in." And, and working with, so they sent me a, 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 jacket, hat, pants, and gloves, and it was fantastic right out of the package. Like I pulled it out of the package. was like, this is the nicest thing that I have ever received. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> yeah. this is the nicest camo that I've actually pulled out of a bag and be like, Oh, this is fantastic. Right. And then I'm literally, I'm genuinely, I, I didn't know much about Homeworth. I'd never heard of Homeworth, to be honest with you. When they reached out to me, I was like, who's this company? But found out they're in Pittsburgh find out they've been a family-owned business for two decades, find out this, this, this. And I'm like, why doesn't everybody know about this? And they're slowly starting to get a foothold. They're slowly starting to be part of it. You know, their background is in hat, gloves, gaiters, and that kind of stuff. And, and realistically, it's a good chance. We kind of joke around, you know, the, the front office that everybody probably actually owns Huntworth. is sitting in a, in a bin in your closet somewhere <laughs> next to your winter gloves and hats. You don't know it's Huntworth because right. you went to your, your Walmart, your tractor supply, your Dick's, your Shields, your Fleet Farm, your that type of stuff. And it's a good chance you'll find Huntworth accessories, their hats, their gloves, and, and their gaiters. Uh, which they've been known for for years. But really within the past five to seven, they've branched out in the coats and the pants and the bibs, uh, and they have just done innovative stuff with the patterns they've created, the tartan, the disruption. Um, and you can get an entire outfit of their heavyweight stuff uh, for like 600 bucks, right. which is still a lot. Let's be clear. That is still a lot of money. But it's right. going to cost you a 1000 of Kuyu, First Light, Sitka, and that's just for the outer layer. You know, if you throw in your base layer, your hats and your gloves, you're still under 700 bucks, 800 bucks for what would still only be one and a half, two garments from other premium brands. And, and you know, and everybody's like, okay, well, where are they cutting corners? That's a big question I get all the time. How do they cut corners? They're not actually. They, it's It's all in how you source it. Right, it's all in how you're sourcing the product. Neil, like I said, Neil and them have been have been sourcing stuff and materials for over 20 years. In his case, over 40 years, uh, working in the textiles, so they know how to get things through the right production, cut out a lot of the fluff that you get along the way, and ultimately results in a and less cost to the consumer. Um, and they wouldn't still be in business if it was garbage stuff. You can't have a business
1: in today's world last for 20 years, (laughs) you know, and, and have it be crap, especially not in a, in a, in like the hunting space in camo, like there are a lot of companies that come and go in in that space. It feels like, so you're not going to hang on for two decades without, without good quality stuff.
2: No, the hunting community will rip you to shreds. Right. You know, as soon as a, a as soon as a zipper breaks, a scene pulls out, oh, it's garbage. The whole thing's garbage, right? That they will rip you to absolute shreds. Right. Um, and so for them to still be doing what they're doing, um, have the 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 base that they do, um, I think it can only continue to grow. I think they're doing a lot of really highly innovative stuff, um, and it can only go out from here.
1: Yeah. Man, one of the cool things that i have really liked recently, and I'm glad they added it to the website is uh, the system builder. So where you can go onto the website now and you can kind of pick out like what species or what, you know, temperature range or season, I guess you could say you're going to be hunting and it helps you find and locate those clothes, those pieces. And that for me has always been like a, like, ah, uh, what do I, you know, what do I need for, for this specific thing? Uh, especially when I first moved up to, to Wisconsin. So I came from the deep South originally, like, near the Gulf Coast of Al- in Alabama. So moving from there to Wisconsin, like, I don't know what I need. So I literally walked into a thrift store and just bought, like, every big thing I could find. Like, I'm just going to buy every yeah. big thing with camouflage on it, and that's that's what I'm going to get. It didn't work out so well. I could have really benefited back then from uh, from something like the, the system builder. So why don't you walk me through that system builder a little bit and kind of uh, maybe what you're seeing, guys, you know, the response that you're getting from it.
2: So the response has been fantastic. So the system builder that we have on the Huntworth website um, allows you, because every camo company has almost too much, right? You feel yeah. you just, if you just like shop all, right, you just click shop all on Huntworth's websites, you're going to be like, why are there 57 gloves? Why are there seven jackets? <laughs> right. They have a rhyme and a reason and we didn't really have a rhyme and reason, at least in terms to the consumer's eyes right. until this year. So the system builder, allowed you when you when you launch into the system builder right on the banner of the huntworth website it says what's the species you want to hunt and what's the temperature range you expect to hunt that species? So we have elk and mule deer, which would be your out west hunts. We have your whitetail, which is your out east hunts, obviously. Then we have our turkey season as well. And and um, and warm weather hunting, which would be your predators during the summer and late spring and early fall. So each one is broken down then by that species and that temperature range. So for me here in central Pennsylvania, it's pretty cold pretty much the entire time. So I'll... I'll click on the early season whitetail, which is like a temperature range of 40 to 70 degrees. Now that's going to be different though, than your elk and mule deer 40 to 70 because an elk and mule deer, you're sitting down glassing for hours. You might also have to put a spot in stock on it two o'clock in the afternoon when it's 88 degrees outside. Right. So what we're going to expect for that pattern, when you click on the, the, uh, the elk and mule deer versus the whitetail is we might give you more breathable things, really lightweight things. That's going to be able to shed heat, be super wicking, super, uh, uh, drying and, uh, and not trap moisture and allow you to basically just burn out when you're sitting there glassing for, for three, four hours in the afternoon. Whereas the whitetail side, we expect you to have a quick morning hunt and a quick evening hunt. Cause there's no point in saying in, in the first week of archery season in, in, you know, Georgia, when it's 88 degrees outside by 9am. Right? right. You don't need to sit there past 9am. Mm. Right. So we expect you're going to hike in wearing this. You're going to probably throw this layer on over top to keep the bugs off you. And so we we've done everything from base layers, which is of course is your next to skin layer. Then we have your mid layer, which is, you know, if you want to throw in a vest or if you want to throw in a light hoodie or something like that. Then we have your insulation layer. And your insulation layer is going to be your beefed up mid layers. It's kind of an on-ball thing, but it makes a lot of sense if you look at the system builder itself. Um and that insulation layer is obviously gonna be more toward your midweight and heavyweight stuff where you're trying to shave down on bulk. And have easier layers to walk in with. So, you know, if you want to wear a vest, if you want to wear a Sherpa line hoodie, like our new Grayling, um, which has the heat boost graphene in it, um, that'll allow you to walk in without having all the extra bulk, stay warm, but not overheat. So it's all mapped out there in that system builder from top to bottom, rain gear, gloves, hats, everything's there broken down by that species and season. And by the time you're all done, there's never a point where you're like, well, I don't understand what this piece is for. You know exactly what that piece is for, exactly what temperature range. Is it windproof? Is it waterproof? Does it have a hood, not have a hood? What's the technology that goes into that garment? Um, and then from there, and even before you get to that, you know, we, we ask which pattern do you want to shop? Do you want to shop our disruption? Do you want to shop our tarnit? So the entire time, you're not looking at two different patterns. You're only looking at one, and you know exactly how that piece is going to look as you wear it on your body. And, and you can have that confidence even before you, you purchase it to know exactly what it's going to look like and how it's going to come together.
1: Right. when, So you mentioned the, the patterns there. What, what's what been your go-to? I have, so I've, I've only got the Tarnan pattern, uh, but I have worn the Tarnan from Alabama to Georgia to Iowa to Wisconsin. I've hunted in the snow with it. I've hunted in the rain with it. I've hunted late season, mid season, early season, spring for turkeys, uh, hunted turkeys in the snow this year in it when I, it wasn't supposed to snow. Uh, it still kept me pretty warm. So I was really happy with, with that. So like it has been a great all around pattern. If you had to pick one though, like what, what would be your go-to? Oh, I'm not allowed to pick, I'm oh. not allowed
2: to pick but I, I, from a, from a, so, so you um, you know, when, when you, you know say when you look good, you feel good. Right. right? So right. like when people want to choose a pattern they're like, listen, I think I look really good in this, you're going to feel good. Both patterns disruption, which is more as a digital pattern. Right. So, Um, tarnin is a, the way my my brain thinks of it is a horizontal pattern. If you look at it, it's like a horizontal tree bark pattern, Um, but it's so much more than that. It's got so much more depth than that. I strongly recommend people go check it out. Disruption is more of a digitalized pattern, but both of them have an incredible depth of field that allows them to work in a tree stand, in a ground blind, on the ground, spot and stalk, waterfowl, out west, um, I've predominantly worn the Tarnan. Uh, that is the most, you know, they had disruption and I think a year or two later they came out with Tarnin. Um, I've worn the Tarnin. Um, if you're not into digital patterns, you gravitate towards Tarnin, right? right. That's just, that's kind of the thing. But, um, I've shot my biggest buck to date wearing disruption. So, and this oh, well, year I'm going to pretty much wear disruption exclusively because of that. So I'll, I flip flop back and forth between the two. Um, but, uh, I, I strongly recommend people, recommend people check it out and make the decision for themselves. Yeah,
1: for sure. For sure. I like that they're, they're, they're both open enough. You know, that's been a thing for me with a lot of camo patterns Is I look at it and I'm like, that's just a gray blob at this point. Like you've, you've lost any kind of value of camouflaging yourself because when something's 20 yards, 30 yards, 40, 50 yards away, even, you're just going to look like a gray or a black blob in the tree because there's no, there's no light uh, in no 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 light parts of of the camo, and that's one of the things that I think uh, Huntworth has done really really well is having an open enough pattern where you don't just turn into a into a blob.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a tough it's a tough line to tow where you want to have up-close right. breakup, which is obviously where we as bow hunters in particular um, really want that, you know, if that deer's at 10 yards, you don't want them looking at you like, oh, look at that giant 8-bit looking guy in a digital pattern camo. You need you need that that total breakup. But then also at 40, 50, 60, 400 yards, you just can't look like a bump on a stump. Right. You need to have even still at those distances. I think both of those patterns do it very well. Um, I think it's something that hunt has perfected over the past decade in particular with their patterns moving away from what we've all considered to be you know we look at that that jacket on the rack at you know at the local big box store local sporting goods or whatever and we see kind of that leaf and twig pattern where it's like oh i see depth of field but as you say then you get out in the in the actual timber and at like 50 yards you're like well, that just looks like a giant log sitting <laughs> off of that tree because you lose yeah. that depth. Right? right. It just turns. It just turns dark. And so a lot of people are like, "Oh, that pattern looks like tarnum." For example, it has a lot of white in it, and people yeah, are like, yeah. "Oh my!" But that's one thing that Sika did, and no one seemed to say boo about that with their elevated too. <laughs> and that is because at distance, that white dims down drastically. Right. And all of a sudden, now it's just adding depth to the pattern because your darks go darker and your whites become cooler and it just adds depth, and you just absolutely disappear. And that's something that people are like, ah, on the rack, that doesn't look like it's going to work. It looks kind of gimmicky. But then when you actually kind of sit down and think about it, you're like, wow, that actually really helps out overall at different depths, you know, 20 yards, 60 yards, 200 yards, and actually breaking up your outline.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's shift our attention then. You know, we got early season coming. You guys open October – no, you guys have special regs units there in PA. So when PA's are goofy. when are you yeah, gonna open man? I goofy. have no idea. I th- I was going to say you open on this day. I don't have a clue when you open because PA's strange.
2: Yeah, I'm in the uh, I'm in the part of the state though that's a little bit more blue collar and normal. So we okay. open up usually like the first week of October, which it actually would end up too late. They always open on a Saturday. So we're opening up September 30th, which is the earliest I remember my part of the state opening down towards the cities of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. They open up a couple weeks earlier than us because they're 10,000 does. that get hit by cars and they want them shot sooner. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so we open up here into September, uh, when it's still 75, 80 degrees outside.
1: Right. Right. So then talking early season, um, you know, I have really liked a couple of pieces, um, For, for the early season, but I'm curious, what are, what are some of your, maybe your go-tos, uh, when the weather's a little bit warm, because, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to be hunting September 9th. As of right now, the forecasted temperature is like 91 for the day. So, and and the low of like 71. So it's going to be hot. It's, it's not just going to be like, oh, it's a little warm. It's going to be like, I'm not even sure that I want to get out of my car, um, because it's so miserable. Uh, so what, what are some of the pieces that you would like point guys to when it comes to, you know, an early season, really hot weather kind of situation?
2: Yeah, it's, so it's interesting as I've kind of dove into this job in particular, working with other guys that hunt. So like Pennsylvania last year, we opened with that first week of October and we had, uh, it was below freezing. In that Jeez. opening day. Oh on my first goodness. Week. Right. So it's like, and you would know in Wisconsin, it would be oh, the yeah. same deal oh, yeah. too. Like that yep. first, that first week of October, everybody's like, Oh, the mosquitoes. I'm like, dude, they've been dead for like two weeks. It's yeah. cold outside. Yeah. Um, But talking with guys, they're like, no, it's like 74 degrees at like eight o'clock in the morning. I need lightweight stuff. So a lot of the a lot of the pieces that Homeworth makes for the early season all work together in being incredibly breathable and wicking. That's a huge, huge part of our thing. So uh, the Durham pants is something that we offer that I, they're like they're like my go-to everyday pants. So we offer them in tartan and disruption, but then we also offer them in three solid colors as well because they are that good of an everyday. Heck, I've worn them to school sometimes. You know, they're they're clean and professional-looking enough incredibly stretchy, incredibly quick drying and very breathable and very wicking. And so I wear those in Turkey season, a boatload. Um, uh, they get a lot of use if we do have an, if those earlier temperatures or those warmer temperatures in the early season. But of course anywhere where it's going to be not, if it's going to be 15 up, you can wear those Durham pants. If you want to, if it need a little chill taken off, you can wear our Bangor base layers, which are a typical next to skin blended material. Uh, I'm not a big Merino fan. I got eczema and all types of dermatological issues. So it's way too itchy, the wool stuff is. So the homework stuff works out really well for me in terms of regulating temperature, but then not also you know causing rash and itches and that type of stuff. So the Durham pants and then we have uh, a super lightweight Gadsden quarter zip, which is just a very uh, light, it's almost like it has a look of a mesh, but it's actually a hexagon mesh uh, type material. Then that thing you breathe on and it completely dries out. So, you know, you accidentally get caught in a rainstorm, you know, you just sweat all the way walking to the stand or whatever it be, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, you're already dried out. So... Um, the Gadsden, the Durham, if you are going to be in the hot weather seventies, eighties, nineties, it's an absolute go-to for the early
1: season. Right. Right. Those, uh, the Durham pants. I love those two for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, that, like you said, they're stretchy, like, and they're stretchy where it counts. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you you're walking in and you're, you're climbing up in your stand or you're, you know, stepping over a log or you're just trying to get comfortable in your saddle or whatever it is. And like, they stretch where it really matters and, and keep you keep you nice and comfortable. But the, the reinforced uh, seat on them and the reinforced knees I found is really nice early in the season because I don't like to wear knee pads. I'm not a knee pad guy, but I do occasionally like to, you know, sit down when, in my saddle and kind of put my knees into the tree a little bit. And the reinforced knees give me just enough, you know, between me and the tree where I'm not feeling like my knees are, you know, being ground to – to pieces or whatever but uh right yeah i've i have loved those pants so far and then the quarter zip man that thing that was my turkey season like go-to down here it was oh, good. absolutely i hate having my arms show i can't i can't do a short sleeve in the woods i just feel i feel naked like i might as well be like waving an orange flag over my head well uh, i get
2: eaten alive
1: that's right. my big
2: thing right is
1: mosquitoes yeah
2: so, so having something to cover Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, man, get anything to get, get, get covered up. But yeah, those are, those are two really, really good pieces. I want to talk a little bit about what may be some new uh, stuff coming out this year. I have heard zero right now of what might be coming out from Huntworth for, uh, for this season. Is there anything exciting, you know, hiding in the back room that you can, that you can share with me?
2: Everything that's in the back room is now out, but it's out as of uh, as of very recently. So we have the grayling hoodie, which just launched, which is going to be, I think, one of our number one selling garments. And right. the grayling hoodie is part of our heat boost line which our heat boost incorporates graphene. And graphene is a, is a highly conductive, heat conductive material. And we've uh, infused graphene yarn and part of our Sherpa and fleece linings and a lot of our heavyweight garments. So we can shave down on the bulk of the material. So you have a lighter garment, a less bulky garment, particularly for late bow season you still maintain the same level of warmth as our heaviest weight garments. It's pretty fantastic stuff. And so we actually um, created a piece called the, the Grayling Hoodie, which is a quarter zip with a full hood. It also has an integrated face mask. So it's just a overall great thing, has the heat boost in it. And then the material on the outside is a DWR, it's a durable water repellent finish, but then it's also got something we call act to stretch. And so it is just like the stretchiness material of like our Durham pant, if not even stretchier. So you get a lot of movement on the inside side which is what we wanted because the grayling is intended to be worn as either an outer layer with a DWR on it um, so if you are in an environment where you know it's 45 50 degrees maybe a little bit colder you could get away with just having the grayling on on the exterior and you can just use that as your hunt If you need a little extra throw a vest over top of it um, but then also for those of us that live in the northeast midwest upper north where you really are going to need extra insulation but you want to have all this stretch that's like our biggest complaint as bow hunters is I put on all these layers and then I can't can get my elbow up to draw my bow right well since that grayling is so stretchy on on the exterior it doesn't matter how many layers over top you pack on it it's not going to get bogged down it's still going to allow you to stretch and dry your bow but still have an incredible amount of warmth in that heat boost graphene uh, uh sherpa lining that's on the inside so just a really well done really well thought out garment um, I'm going to see a lot. I don't even, I haven't even gotten to play with it yet. That's how new it is. We did launch it. It's on the website. It is for sale. Sure. Uh, it is ready to go. We do have uh, we do have it in the warehouse. So it is shipping out for folks. Um, but I haven't even put it in my hands yet, but just from the videos I've seen and the, and the pieces of material I've touched, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, if it's something that you guys, you know, if you're listening and you're looking for that, actual like warm hoodie not just like a jersey knit hoodie that you wear but an actual warm hoodie that you can then use as an insulating layer later on the season you have to check out the grayling
1: hey guys just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the how to hunt deer podcast is brought to you by tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers they're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with a 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. So you said it's got the face mask built in as well. Uh, oh, that's yeah, the, the face mask integrates huge. Dude, the Shelton midweight hoodie. It like goes with me everywhere. I don't care how cold it is. I will find a way to have that midweight hoodie on because of that face mask. Like because it's always there, and I don't have to worry about like, oh wait, which pocket did I put in my face? Ma- or did I leave my face mask in the car? Like what did I? What did I do with it? You know. So to hear that that, that it's integrated in the new one, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty sweet.
2: Yeah, the Sheldon is by far our number one selling like midweight item. It's yeah. huge. It's a waffle grid fleece. It does not have the same heat, but cap- nowhere near the same heat capabilities as the Grayling. Right. But as an under as an undergarment in the later season, I'm the same way. I don't care what temperature is, is. I'm finding a way to wear that thing because the hood is super form fitting. It's cut around so that way you it doesn't block off your peripheral vision. And then even though it's a super lightweight face mask, you know, and the, and the Grayling's not much heavier. Um, it still is great enough as a gator. So I'll put it up in front of me, where is the face mask? But then if I don't need it, I'll just pop it off my face, wear it around my neck. Yep. And then it actually is just that little bit extra warmth without having a big fluffy gator up around my neck. And, or, you know, if it's interfering with my bow or something like that. So yeah, the Sheldon is a little brother to the Grayling and both you could not go wrong with.
1: Right. Right. Well, man, I got, I've got, I want to talk about one more thing and and then, you know, we'll leave the camo behind and maybe talk some, uh, some archery or maybe, uh, maybe some hunting plans for this year. Uh, but I was shocked. Okay. I have been a, uh, I have been a, um, Merino wool guy for several years. Okay. I then partnered with Huntworth and I got some of the base layers and I was like, all right, let's try these things out. Like I've I've all, I've been a merino guy for years. Let's try this out. I was blown away with how well the the base layers performed and how close they were to to my merino because up until then like I, I thought for sure like merino takes the cake. You always hear that, right? I mean, that's what that's what at least the, that's what everybody on YouTube told me was that merino is the best. But but you know when I when I was basically switching from long johns from walmart that are made of cotton to merino yeah it does feel like nothing else could ever touch merino but you guys those base layers are fantastic like i've i've put yeah. away my merino because my merino can't i, I end up going through one or one a year i end up throwing one away every year because i've either stretched it out or I ripped a hole in it or something like that that hasn't happened now with my base layers from huntworth so what are what in the world are those things made of Magic. We're absolutely made out of magic. We, <laughs> magic and fairy we, dust. We have, Perfect.
2: Magic, magic, fairy dust and a healthy dose of, uh, of ingenuity. Uh, so yeah, so we do, we have two, we have two different baselers and I'm in the same boat, right? I came from the waffle grid, cotton, long johns. You got it at Walmart or heck you get thrift storm, you know, if you needed to. And I was like, there's no, this has to be the warmest thing out there. Right. And then I tried Merino and then it turned out with you know, all my dermatological issues, and also I would stretch them out. I was in the same boat. It wasn't right. fun. It wasn't comfortable to wear them. Sure, they were super thermoregulating, which was really unique. That's a that's an experience I'd never seen before. And I was like, man, when I if I leave Merino and try something else, I'm never going to see it. The Humworth base layers, the Bangors in particular, the Caspers are brand new. They're infused with graphene. They're part of our new Heat Boost thing as well. But the Um, the Bangor basers that we have are exact, in my opinion, are exactly the same thermoregulating capable as Merino. If it's hot, it cools you off. And if it's cold, it warms you up. I don't know how it does it. I don't know what magical blend of materials we use in there, but I don't itch. I don't pinch. I don't get scratchy. I don't break out in rashes. Um, and it's, and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. And I've been wearing the same baser now for three years. Now, granted, I don't put hundreds and hundreds of sit on my stuff. But I would even with just my lightweight use would go through a Merino set a year. Right. Um, right. And I don't have that with the Homeward stuff. And um, the form fit is great. You know, it, there's no pinching around the waistbands, the armpits, like it's all well thought out. And that's something, you know, you're like, oh, it's a base layer, right? I'll just wear a t-shirt, you know, I'll just wear some shorts <laughs> or whatever underneath it. And I understand that, and and you live your life. You want to do that, but if you actually want to feel what it's like to be comfortable from the time you get up in the morning to get in the truck, from the time that you get back to process the animal, and then you take it all off, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't like sweat to death. I felt nothing. Nothing was sagging. Nothing was falling. Nothing got bunched." You got to try out a base layer. It really is the bee's knees. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. I. I don't think I'll look back, man. I, I was really, really pleasantly surprised with the base layers because, um, mostly I'm just too hard on my stuff. Like I'm just, I'm really hard on my equipment. And so, uh, when they weren't stretching uh, you know, stretching out and staying all droopy or, you know, for me, I, I treat a lot of my clothes with, um, with, with ozone. And that's because a lot of times, just cause I'm on the move, it's cause I'm on the go. It's not like, I don't think that I'm really beating every deer's nose out there, but I like being able to pull my stuff out and not smell myself on my clothing. You know, I don't, I don't want to smell yesterday's funk <laughs> on, uh, on my clothes anymore. Uh, and Merino does, has not handled that, handled that very well at all. Like it has it lost a lot of its, of, of its life, I think, from that. But the, the Huntworth um, uh, base layers have not. So, all right, let's shift over into talking a little bit of archery now. I have a confession to make. I have uh, I've not done so well this summer, man. I've not been doing a lot of shooting like I should. Um, I, I've still tried to play around with stupid single bevel heads and I, I gotta know your thoughts, man. I I want to lo- love them. I want to love them and I want to I want sharpening them to be easy like people say they are. and I want the heads to be as tough and as durable as people say that they are. But that hasn't been my experience over and over again. Nate, can you save me? No,
2: I can't. Well, I mean, the easiest thing to do is just <laughs> is just step away from the weapon, right? Just, right, right. Just just set it down and back away slowly and And come back to reality. No, it, so you know single bevel heads uh, work very well, you know the whole every thing. you know we we could go off into the weeds for eight hours and that and still not touch every piece. But it's very interesting. i I was listening to a podcast, uh, the pinch point podcast by Justin Zare there from from yep. uh, Bowhunter Die., yep. And they were talking about how, you know all of these guys are very obsessed with single bevels. They're also obsessed with with trying to beef up their arrow weight, right? And they're like, It doesn't make any sense. You take the most efficient broadhead possible and then just pile drive on behind it with with weight and stuff like that. You really should actually be the opposite direction. It should be a mechanical shooter should be shooting a 700 grain arrow and a single bevel guy should be shooting like a 350 grain arrow because that's the efficiency of both. Um, But when it comes to the the single bevel stuff, I, I just am not sold. I haven't been sold. I understand it. I get the math. I've seen the videos too. Um, but I have had in my experience with them outside of shooting slower trad bows with, you know, heavy aluminum arrows or or long feathers and stuff like that. I have not had good success getting good broadhead flight out of a non vented single bevel broadhead. It's just not, it's not something. And and I've shot every stinking broadhead. It feels like under the sun, double bevel wise and replaceable blades high quality stuff, Magnus, Wasp, Montex. I mean, you, you name them all. I I think I've put them down range into foam at some point. And at the end of the day, they all seem to behave about the same. I I know what I'm getting into. I know what to expect, right? There's no real surprises. Um, Whereas I feel like there are days where I'm just surprised when I'm shooting a single bevel or I've tried to tune a single bevel. Everything's great (laughs) through paper. Everything looks good. And then Three arrows are great, and then the fourth one just looks like a fish. So I take that broadhead off, I put it in a different arrow. And now that one shoots like a fish. I'm like, okay, so it's a broadhead. Well, then I take that broadhead and put it back in the first arrow, shoot, and it's a dart. Like, what is going on? And it's just, you know, it's everything's fine, is it? But I don't, and I, I can't. I'm not sold that that is an answer that everybody needs to a problem that may or may not exist. Right. And so I'm stuck with I've stuck with with double bevel broadheads, replaceable blade broadheads. I mean, gosh, you know, I mean, uh, it's yeah, I, I think if um, if single bevels are really an answer or if I had answers for people that that ended up with being, you know, single bevels the way to go. I feel like the industry would have figured that out a long time ago. There's way too many smart very smart engineers in the hunting and archery industry that would have figured that out a long time ago. And if it really was going to be a suitable need for everybody and and an easy fix, quote unquote, for everybody, I think it would have been just, it would have been done 20, 30 years ago. And we'd actually be talking about why, I I don't know if we want to try this double bevel thing. You know, we've all been doing single bevel things, you know, for 30, Tim Gillingham says single bevel for 30 years. Why would we go to this double bevel thing? You know? And so I, I, I'm not convinced. I'm not sold. I don't have much better of an answer for
1: you. Yeah, no, that's good, man. Because uh, as I've as I've come back, and again, I'm like four years into these, like trying them out, ditching them for a while, trying them out again, ditch them for a while, drop another 150 bucks on them, ditch them for a while. Uh, no, don't even get me started on price. Oh, oh, dude, they're they're outrageous. And then and then I got one set where I was happy enough that I was like, you know what, I'm hunting with these this year. I'm I'm gonna hunt with these this year. Uh, I put two of them through animals that year, and both of them, granted they're hundred dollar sets of three, right? Both of them came out of the other side of the animal so chipped up that there was no possible way I was going to reuse them. And I mean, there it was; they were not. It's not going to buff out, right? It's not going to sharpen out. I don't have to just take it back to the stone and just put the edge back on it. There is no edge left; like it's gone. And so that really burned me. And that was the last year I shot them on animals. I've, I've gone back and tried to, you know, tried to try to try them in the backyard and done the whole thing. But every year it's like, I get close to season and I'm like, you know what? I throw my hands up and I say, forget it. But then I, I see your shirt there. Uh, last year I ended up rocking some grim reapers and I was super thrilled with those. Now I've, I'd never shot them before. I had always looked at them, and I'll be honest with you, I I always felt kind of judgy when I looked at their packaging because I was just like, that that looks like it happened in somebody's garage, you know? <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm not trying to knock them. I'm just saying, like, when I walked by them, I thought, can something high quality come in packaging that kind of looks like my third grader drew a picture on it, and they got taped together in a garage? I, I don't know. Uh, but, man, those heads are legit. Like, they're unbelievable. Are you shooting the fixed blade or the mechanicals? I'm shooting the mechanicals. So, all right. So here's here's what you got to know about me. I'm yeah. a pendulum man. When I swing, I don't just swing from double bevel back to, or from single bevel back to double bevel. No, I go fully back the other way. We're talking, you Welcome know, to
2: the dark side, my
1: friend. Oh yes, yeah, so we're talking mechanicals at that point. And I loved them, absolutely loved them. So is that what is that what you're shooting? So
2: I, uh, like I said, I, I kind of, I fluctuate between, I've tried this head, this head, this head, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I still gravitate towards fixed blade broadheads. That's just kind of my thing. Um, this year I'm actually kind of toying around with shooting a good old fashioned wasp drone, Okay, which has been, I think made for about 25 years. Right. You know, it's, a, I get this. My wife will tell you, I lay awake, lay awake in bed at night thinking about this stuff. And, Um, you know, I look at the companies, what I, what I really get excited about is I look at the companies that have been doing the same dang thing for like 40, 50, 60 years, and they're still in business, right? So Wasp has been making broadheads in Connecticut, in Connecticut since 1976. Wow. So they must be doing okay. Mike Som over at Magnus has been making broadheads in Great Benz, Kansas since 1985. He must know what he's doing. Uh, you know, so like when I look at those, you know, G5 has been up in Michigan there for years, engineering and all. That. Right. I look at that and I'm like, they must know what's going on. They must have happy customers. They must have repeat customers because you can't survive in this industry making a couple packs of broadheads and, and cashing in. That's not that's not how the arts that's not how the margin of the arts industry work. Right. And so I get excited to try out those things. Grim Reaper is made exclusively in Provo, Utah top to bottom, the engineering, the design, the function, the machining, the material, everything is in Provo, Utah. It's made, American made top to bottom. And I'm not a big mechanical guy, but if I'm going to shoot a mechanical, the only mechanical I'm putting into my arrow is a Grim Reaper. It's not even, it's right. not even a question. Really? They're razor cut, um, last year um, in 2022, when I was hunting, my youngest child had a whole bunch of issues. We were in and out of the hospital, it was a mess. And in November is when she went in the hospital. So I missed like three weeks of the rut. And the last week archery season, uh, I went out and I go to shoot the bow in the backyard and everything's bad. Everything's terrible. I'm talking, it looks like I I put a corkscrew on the end of an arrow and I'm watching a fixed blade fry down range. I never have that kind of issue. And I tried tuning it up and I just couldn't get it. So I just was like, you know what? I have a pack of Grim Reaper razor cuts. It's kind of like the, you know, break the glass in case of an emergency, you know, type deal. Pick up the red phone and call Superman, you know. Right, right. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. So I smashed the glass if you want. I took the thing out. And Grim Reaper sells a practice point. Right. Right. And the thing, I screwed that thing in. It was a dart out to 50 yards. And I was like, all right, here we go. I haven't shot a mechanical in I don't know how long. And uh, four days later, I set one. Through almost three ribs, the center of the heart, and broke the offside lower leg of a buck, and the arrow still went about six feet past him, and he went about forty yards and, and died running, and I mean just blood everywhere, and I was like, "Oh, that's right, these things are awesome," like <laughs> you know, it's, I didn't worry about anything, you know, yeah. and and uh, yeah, so I. As much as I am a, a fixed blade fan, if I'm going to shoot a Grim Reaper, if I'm going to shoot a mechanical, it's going to be a Grim Reaper. I don't trust that. Just everything else what their company stands for. I, I agree. Their packaging is goofy, right? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah. it you've never yeah. seen, for the listeners, you never seen a Grim Reaper packaging. It's literally a cardboard sheet with just a box glued on the front of it. Right. That's right. all it is. And they just change the the background image to match the broadhead of the packaging. So, like in my store, I have like ten different Grim Reaper broadheads. Because they do, they make I want to say they probably make close to twenty to twenty five different heads: three blade, four blade, hybrid heads, mechanicals, fixed blades, hundred grain, one hundred twenty five, one fifty crossbow versions, compound. Ver- I mean, it's just it's insane the amount of heads that they produce out there in Utah. And so you look at my wall in my shop because I stock most of it, and they're like, which one do I shoot? I'm like, I don't know. You can pick them all. They're great. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, the packaging is a little goofy, but, man, they just make some great heads.
1: They do. They really do, man. I So this past year I shot one, skim the top of the back of a buck, right, which means I had to go over there to the ground, pick it up out of the ground. The head looks – I mean, it's in great shape. It doesn't look like your typical – uh, mechanical broadhead that just went into the dirt, right? So I'm like, all right, cool, that's that's neat. So go back, Ended up buying a few more because I'm like, I don't like being down ahead uh, kind of thing, you know, so I end up buying another pack. And I mean, so I have a buck come through a few days later, and I smash it directly into the spine. I'm talking like I center shot that spine better than, <laughs> better than any spine has ever been hit before. I mean, I hit it hard, right? Not the ideal shot, but... It's what happened, and not so. It was my biggest buck to date. I'll admit I was a little shaken up. Uh, so I got another one in him pretty quickly, and then he moved again. So I was like, "No, no, you, nope, you don't get." I, I'm I'm flinging him as fast as I can knock them, and you know, looking back now, it's a little embarrassing. Uh, but old
2: pincushion.
1: Oh, dude, it was. By the end of it, he. He he had deceased, so that was good. But even if he hadn't, he wouldn't have been able to get up because he would have just been pinned down to the ground. That's it sounds it sounds terrible, but. <laughs> He was my biggest buck, man. I'm so pumped. Like I couldn't, yeah. uh, I, I, I wasn't going to take a chance uh. on losing him. I just have all these stories of people who are like, man, I shot a buck and I went over there and he was dead. So I went to get the four wheeler and I came back and he's gone. I'm like, yeah, not today. Like mm. that, is, that will not happen uh, for, for me here. So no anyway, tracking necessary, right? Zero. Zero tracking necessary. But so dude, I start, I start pulling out the broadheads and I'm like, these look fantastic. So I start feeling them a little bit later after I've cleaned them up. They're still kind of sharp. Like they're still as sharp after they've gone into a deer and slammed into a spine as some other heads are basically out of the pack. Now, I didn't reuse them, uh, but man, I was really, really impressed. And I was shooting the it's like the four blade um like Pro Shops but something. They're they're pro oh, so it's either
2: it's either a mini mag or the carna four.
1: Okay. All right, I, I all I know is that I couldn't, I can't buy them at like Cabela's or somewhere like that. No, you've yeah, got go to go to Pro Shops. Yeah. So yeah. man, I was really happy with those. I want to hear your thoughts on maybe some heavier mechanical uh, heads, though, because like I really like, I do like shooting a little bit of a heavier arrow. One of the things that I like about shooting single bevels is I can get that weight up there enough that I can feel a difference and I can hear a difference when I'm shooting my bow. And to me, it's just a little more pleasant when you start seeing the, you know, are are there heavy, heavy heads, you know, expandable heads that you, that you like, or when I'm seeing, you know, 150 grain crossbow head, is that something that's a realistic option for the guy who's shooting it out of a compound?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the 150 grain head Used to be much more popular, um, popularly made in the mechanical side. It hasn't been made for a while. I actually think Rage. It used to be an old black ferrule a Rage uh, two blade with a big fat black aluminum fl- ferrule. That was 150 grand crossbow broadhead they used to make. I don't know if anybody's still making a 150 mechanical. Okay. Um, at least with with great regularity. Um, uh, Grim Reaper might have at one point or maybe they still do Wasp might have at one point maybe they still do I don't think so though I think the heaviest that mechanicals come anymore is 125 uh, and the main reason being is there for quite some time and that's a rare reason why even in fixed blade heads there's not that very many 150 grain options from the, the quote unquote, the big players, your typical names you see across the industry. Magnus still has 150 grain in their Stinger and Stinger Buzz Cut. They're launching 150 grain in Black Hornet this year, um, Black Hornets to Razor. So that's cool. That's still, that's been around for, for a while. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else still makes 150 grain. Uh Wasp still makes a couple with their sharpshooter and their sledgehammer. Those are two 150 grain, you know, typical double bevel heads. I think they make a single bevel 150 now as well. Um, I think G five makes one, but I can't say off the top of my head. But yeah, it's just 150 grains there for a while. It got ostracized in the industry from about two thousand and five to the present no one really cared anymore um because everybody was done with aluminum arrows everybody was done shooting big heavy things were lighter faster you know all that sort of stuff so everybody was shooting 80 grain, and 75 85 100 grain broadheads you know try to whatever and even 125 has got a little iffy for people right, you know right um but shoot i think back to you know when i first started bow hunting and i make it sound like i'm an old geezer but i was shooting an alpine micro at like 47 pounds and my grandfather gave me the Bear razor heads, 145 grain. Right, I wish they still made 145 grain broadheads. That sounds like fun. <laughs> uh, 145 had the blue ferrule. You know, it had like a flat. Like the tip actually wasn't a point; it was kind of flat. And I shot those on 1916 aluminum arrows and I'll tell you with four inch feathers and I'll tell you what, I watched those things zip through deer. I had like a 26 and a half, 27 inch draw length shooting 47 pounds and I will never forget watching it was a four point and I'll never forget watching that thing absolutely going, you know, backside of the left side and going right out in front of the shoulder on the other side and stick four inches into the dirt. And I remember, and nowadays, you know, when I, when that happened, I was like, oh yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. That's what I saw on TV. Now as a grown man, I'm like, how did that go through that animal? That arrow had to weigh like (laughs) 320 grains. Right. Like, what are we doing? But that's, but just, you know, that kind of, that heavier broadhead, that accidental FOC is what I've kind of called it in my head, that accidental FOC, that accidental, really stout, heavier broadhead up front. I don't see why we shouldn't bring it back you know, and, and kind of make it a little bit more mainstream. But nowadays we have so many insert options too, you know, so we can we can throw 100 grains of brass, we can throw in back-end screw weights, we can put a 50-grain aluminum, footers and sleeves and all sorts of stuff. So the, so we found a cheaper way to add that weight up front so the broadhead manufacturers don't have to completely reinvent the wheel to get back to 150s and 175s and 200s, except for the single bevel creators. They're like, yeah, let's do a 300-grain something because they can. Yeah, right. But I don't think the mass. I think the. I don't think the big players, quote unquote, the, the mass producers of the industry are going to do that anytime soon.
1: Yeah, well, and man, there's value too that I've learned. The more I've gotten to travel to hunt, there's a lot of value in having your broadhead be in what would be considered like a normal range, so that if you lose some heads, you need to go buy some. You can't pop into a Walmart in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, uh, at midnight and buy 250 grain broadheads they don't carry them. you like, don't bother. You know, they're, they're not going to be there. So there's some value in having that 100 to 125 range, you know, range weight on your broadhead because you can find something, right? Like you can find right. something to shoot. It might not be your preferred head. It might not be the head that you had on there before, but you can find something to shoot. Whereas if you're going too heavy, you could land yourself in some trouble. Yeah. but. So man, let, all right, we've been going for fifty-three minutes now, and I just want a real quick run through. Maybe what are your plans for the fall? This is, this is a weird year, man. Like this, everything has changed for you. Uh, I feel like it's just so night and day from the last time we had a chance to talk. So, what is this fall going to look like for you?
2: So the fall for me, I'm really hoping to head out to Ohio, uh, hunt kind of eastern, southeastern, south-southern Ohio, hunt some public land out there, get some stuff on film, get some stuff, good pictures and stuff done for Huntworth with their camo patterns out in real life scenarios, go out with a couple other buddies uh, out there, just have a good time, you know, get an Airbnb type, you know, maybe rough camping. We haven't really fully decided yet for, but for a week or a couple of days, at least probably for me, more realistically. Uh, But then also I always head up to, I try to always head to Northeast Indiana. It's kind of my one time a year I get to hunt private land. It's really cool. Uh, (laughs) And uh, so I'll go up and hunt with my good buddy, Derek Craig over at New Day Outdoors, longtime Magnus engineer, a great friend of mine. It's where I've shot my biggest buck to date uh, of my life is, is out there on the farm out there that his family and, and wife's family owns. So Indiana there, uh, possibly an Indiana public land hunt if we're unsuccessful in private. Definitely a lot of hunts around PA. Um, you know, we, we are very blessed with a lot of public here, so I can I can hunt a new spot every single year and be like a kid all over again, just brand new. Uh, and then I'm very excited for the Ohio hunt. I think that's going to be really cool. Um, you know, I know a lot of guys like to go out and chase elk and stuff like that, but just hunting a Midwest whitetail to me just gets me fired up, because it's something I, I didn't really start doing until just a couple of years ago. And going from hunting the mountains of PA to hunt an ag country deer is a very different situation.
1: Oh, man, it is. Yeah. So growing up in the deep south, you know, hunting the pine thickets, basically, uh, where, you know, our only row crops are pine trees down here. So doing that then heading to the Midwest was like, oh, this is just different. The deer are just, they're just more visible. The size of them is just unreal. Like I remember the very first buck I ever shot at in Wisconsin is my first fall there. He comes in behind me and I'm like, boom, you're at 25 yards, you're dead. I draw back, release the arrow, and it goes right underneath him. And I'm like, well, wait a second, what what just happened? So I ranged the spot and it was 40. Which I'm not like I'm not like dead to rights when it comes to guessing ranges, but I was like, he did not look like he was at 40. Well, it was probably a 280-pound deer. You know, and and the deer that I'm used to shooting back home are more like 150 pounds so like yeah he's double the size so yeah he looked real close uh you know because he just boom he was standing there in the middle of a logging road and he's working his way across snap decision way closer than i thought but uh yeah man very very different well look thank you so much for coming on taking the time to do this we'll have to get you on again this fall to kind of hear maybe how some of these hunts go and uh, learn a little bit more from you on in regards to not only archery stuff, but, man, some hunting strategy. I, I wish we could have had a little bit more time to get into that tonight, but I won't keep you all night.
2: Hey, I'm happy to come back anytime, man. This is this is an absolute blast. Have you on. We'll, we'll chit-chat about more stuff. Thanks for having me on for this one, though. I, I really do appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, brother. Thank you. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me, suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx.